Well, thank you, Harold. It's great to see some familiar faces, um, some former students. It makes me feel kind of old quickly. But uh, so that today, I'd like to to walk through some information about self-assessment. Um, the ultimate goal here is to try to give you some ideas and some ways in which to kind of maybe fine-tune some of the things you're already doing. Um, maybe pay attention to things that you had thought about before. So uh, tips and tricks seems kind of like an odd thing to talk about in a, it, from a teaching perspective. I, as you all know as teachers, I don't think there's really any um, magic or any specific tricks that are going to be uh, working 100% of the time, but I thought it was maybe a little catchy thing to catch your attention anyway. So we'll get to those towards the end. And I'd love to leave a few minutes at the end, too, for questions or uh, discussion if you, if you have those as well. So um, I'm a faculty member at, at Calvin University. I've been there now for 25 years. And uh, most of my time has been in somewhat connected to the physical education, teacher education preparation. When I first started at Calvin, I had a few... Uh, additional roles. I was teaching a lot of core classes, but um, in my current role, I'm, I work with our, um, under, our, our elementary and secondary teaching methods courses and also supervise student teachers. One who's right here up here in the front row getting some bonus points right now. So, um, But uh, my, my story goes back a little ways. Uh, I, I'm also a Bronco. Western Michigan University. I did my uh, master's work at, at Western and my, my doctorate work. My master's was in um, pedagogy and in physical education and my doctorate was in educational leadership. So that's been a bit of a journey for me over, um, I did that, at least the, the, the doctorate piece while I was teaching at Calvin. So uh, it was good to get that done and now to have a chance to kind of implement some of those things. But even going back further than that, this is me 30 years ago. Um, graduating from. changed a bit. Time changed a little bit. I uh, graduated from, from Calvin back in 1990, and I was a teacher, uh, elementary PE teacher, uh, for, for a few years before I went back to graduate school. So uh, the things that I want to talk about today are things that I've experienced uh, both as a supervisor and as a professor, but also uh, back in my own time to reflect back on a lot of those experiences with fondness, but some. Uh, challenging uh, moments as well. So as we think about um, the ultimate value today, I want to think a little bit about uh, what is what is the, the uh, value or what is the purpose of self-assessment and how can it make us be a better teacher. So I have a few opening questions for you. Um, the first one is what does effective or exemplary teaching in physical education include? So those things that you gave yourself the gold stars for or kind of the check marks of things you've done well. If you were to kind of identify some of those characteristics or those things that make you effective or, or uh, exemplary as a teacher or as a physical educator more specifically, what would those things be? Anyone, if you think about what do you need to do really well to consider yourself exemplary? Any ideas? I'm going to pick on some of these people that I know. Including every student. Okay, so including every student, getting them engaged and involved in the activities or the, the content. Great. Are there things that you would put on your checklist of, hey, am I doing this? Am I, am I being effective or exemplary even as a physical educator? 
Making sure the kids improve. Improvement. Excellent. Yeah, developing skill, improving their knowledge. Um, any other things? Yeah. Kind of making physical education a, a lifelong yes. importance for them yes. that they can carry on. Yeah, we often have sure we often have that kind of in our definition of of what we want physical education to be a lifelong pursuit of activity. Um, so some of the things that we typically see on this list would be things about your classroom management skills, how to change the climate or improve your climate, uh, the the types of feedback that you're giving to students. Uh, maybe maybe you would think uh, a good teacher, a good physical educator is one who plans really well and prepares things for their students, and, and to that engaging engagement question you offer and ask good questioning um, ways to get your students involved. So even more specific, we think about things like in the area of classroom management, being more efficient, more effective. Uh, we think about from a classroom standpoint, climate, thinking about high energy, uh, fun place to be, but also safe environment, both physically safe and emotionally where, where you have students trying things uh, for the first time or uh, maybe outside their comfort zone or uh, so that safety thing becomes important. When you think about feedback, uh, the communication you're having with your students, you think about um, frequent, you know, good engagement with your students, that it's uh, positive in nature, that it's uh, corrective when necessary. And when we think about things like lesson preparation, we think about being thorough, being creative, um, making sure that we have great content to engage our students in. And from a questioning standpoint, we, we think about some of those things you mentioned about engaging students, how to have them be accountable for activity, how to be accountable to them as well. So um, next question would be for you, what is the purpose of assessing teaching effectiveness? Who has a stake in this? Who, 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 who does it matter to that your teaching is effective or efficient or exemplary? Probably to you, to some extent, right? You you want to keep getting better. You want to, um, and you get a good feel of of how your students are engaging with you and the relationships you're building. All of those good things. Uh, but there are probably some other stakeholders who want you to be an effective teacher, right? So, um, if I want to kind of pull in some some of the experts in this area, and we go to someone like Daryl Seedentop, who's kind of the one of the the uh, fathers of physical education uh, in, in, in North America. And he talks about the purpose and nature of assessment being the purpose is to collect uh, reliable, valid information to help you improve your performance. Okay. So that sounds pretty reasonable. Um, when we think about uh, assessing our, our performance, that would be a good place to start. Uh, the nature of that is multiple assessments over time. Uh, where if, we, if somebody came into your, into your gymnasium and watched you once, would they make a judgment about your effectiveness? Maybe, um, maybe especially in, in our discipline where we don't often get a lot of visitors. We're hurt a lot by the ruckus and stuff going on down in the gym, but uh, do people come in and actually evaluate you? So, uh, but we want our, he says we, our, our assessment should be multiple times and over a, a certain period of time. So when we think about, um, some of the lessons we learned from, from Seedentop's research is that from an assessment standpoint, no single assessment tells the whole story. And you may have been in those situations where, where um, you've had somebody to come watch you or, or somebody uh, sneak into your gym and, and, and something you're doing something activity-wise and it's just not going right. You know, balls are going all in a crazy direction. It's kind of chaotic, lots of noise. 
and you're like, oh, if this, this is what they think my PE class looks like, I'm in trouble. But uh, the point here is that no single assessment tells the whole story. And I want to come back to this towards the end because I think this is a really valuable point for us to recognize. Secondly, we want to collect data that's reliable, that's consistent, that's repeatable, that's actual. So this visual here of the, of the, of the fire alarm, uh, we want to know when that thing goes off that, that there's an actual fire, even though we've all been through the, the test situations. But we want that, that, that sound, uh, or we want our assessment to be reliable of what would be consistent uh, performance over time. And we also want it to be valid. We want it to be a truthful representation of what actually should be going on in a physical education class. So uh, whether you're assessing um, engagement, student engagement, or uh, feedback skills, or whatever it is, we want it to be an actual valid representation of what's going on. So a little bit more from Seed and Top as we kind of build a bit of a case here. Uh, he talks about three different kind of key areas where we would do some assessment. Uh, the teacher process, student process, and student product. So the teacher process assessment, or assessment of those things in which uh, we can try to measure um, the, your performance by direct observation or maybe gathering information, counting behaviors, uh, counting rates of, of things. So that's the, the process of teaching. We also want information on how the students are doing, how they're improving their learning over time. And we also want to see something come out of it. What's the indi indication of their, their learning? Whether that's some type of assessment tool at the end or um, some change in performance over time. We want to be able to assess in all of three of these areas. So um, the next question then for you is, how is accurate self-assessment useful and important for the physical educator? So we're going to spend the rest of our time here talking about this idea of accuracy and what we're trying to, to look at and how we can get information that's really helpful. Because if we think about, um, if we think about this idea of, of assessment, this is kind of a visual I think might be helpful of kind of measure, uh, marrying those two ideas of, of validity and reliability. So we want this picture over here where we, we get our our information, the assessment data that we're collecting, really targeted to the exact thing that we want to, to go. If it's not valid um, information we're collecting, we're going to have kind of a scattered um, result on our, on our dartboard or our, our target. Uh, if we're collecting reliable, reliable information, but really not valid to what we're trying to measure, it could be really good information, but it's all kind of in the wrong spot. It's not getting us the target of the information that we really want to know. So with this kind of as a background, I want to uh, talk a little bit about some um, research in this area and some of the lessons I've learned in my time as a physical educator and as a supervisor of, of student teachers uh, and talk about this idea of systematic observation and self-assessment, how these things can work together. So this idea of assessment or evaluation, these terms get thrown a lot around together a lot. Um, Sometimes we think of them synonymously. But I like this visual here to help us kind of differentiate the difference between what we're looking at here today. So the purpose of assessment is to increase the quality of something, uh, whereas the, the purpose of evaluation is to make a judgment. So to take that information and, and say it's, it's good or it's bad or it needs this or that. So you have our, our gardener here who's um, just trying to feed it and water it to, to get more of this plant. Um, 
but we're not really going to focus so much on the evaluation part here today of, of saying, well, that's too short, not good enough. Uh, I'm going to give this a C minus. We're going to work more on how to help you think about increasing the quality of your own performance as a teacher and the, the, the quality of your, your students' performance in your room. So uh, research would indicate that we have, um, an experience would indicate for you probably, as you may have done some assessment in your own setting, that there are a lot of different methods in which you can use to collect data. And these are just a few of them here. Um, intuitive observation. So I do this a lot as a, as a supervisor of student teachers when I come out to watch Ben. I'm taking some um, descriptive notes of what's going on and I, and I tell that story back and we, Ben and I compare notes and say, hey, are we on the same page on this? So that, that's pretty common in, in a lot of our observation methods. But there are some other things that I think um, in, in my experience as, a, as both a professor uh, and and as a graduate um, student at, at different places, these other four things are not quite as often used. So anecdotal records, are, are, I guess, are more commonly used, similar to what I was describing in uh, what uh, observation of students. But giving rating scales, event recording would be um, seeing how many times something happens over a period of time. A duration recording would be the, the length of time that that behavior is occurring over a period of time. And those, as you can see in that far right column, gives us different types of information. Uh, the first two are more descriptive. The next become a little bit more about the quality of performance. And then the quantity can also be very helpful. So th this is uh, one way to think about the methodology of how we collect data for self-assessment. Uh, and then there are some, a wide variety of tools out there. Some of these uh, might be familiar to you. Others um, are maybe theoretical that you say, yeah, that sounds good, uh, but we just don't have the time or the, the, the re ways to use this. Uh, I'm not going to go through each of these, but the point is that there are some um, tools out there to, to kind of help you collect information. So as a, as a graduate student at Western, uh, we used a data collection tool that was um, intended to help us find information out about what was going on with the teachers' behaviors, student behaviors, and uh, we used that collect data collection tool, which was um, like a little handheld computer that you would count um, and press information, uh, data that would, or buttons that refer to different types of behaviors, and I'll explain these a little bit more in detail um, coming up here. So when we think about then this idea of systematic observation, uh, we really need to kind of zero in on, well, what are we looking at? Well, one of the things we want to know are what are the typical teacher behaviors in a physical education setting? Um, secondly, what are the typical student behaviors? And then what then is the value of, of accuracy in our self-assessment? So uh, we'll zero in on that, that self-assessment piece a little bit more um, as we go along. So let's talk about teacher behaviors. If you think about your actions in your gymnasium, in your setting where you're working right now, what are some of the, the typical teacher behaviors that you engage in on a daily basis with your students? How do you kind of, whether those are broad categories or very specific things, what are the things you do as a teacher? Give instruction. Give instruction, yes. We do we get a lot of instructions, right? What else do we do? Encourage. Encourage. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
encourage. Encourage. We give feedback, positive feedback, hopefully. Um, and that encouragement can look uh, maybe a couple different ways in which we carry that out. So we got instruction. We got feedback. What else? Demonstrate. Demonstrate, yeah. So the part of our instruction is it could be a physical demonstration. Uh, we could um, use students to model certain. That's part of instruction, right? So what we know from research and what you know from your own experience is that there are typically four kind of categories of behaviors that we see from teachers. They're observing. Okay, they're watching either the whole group or small groups of students. They're giving instruction in various ways providing feedback to their students about their performance, and they are managing the operations of the, of the class. All right, so what about, our, what about our students? What do they do? What are they engaged in uh, throughout the... They're motoring. 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 Yes. yes. So that's not machines, right? They're not building um, uh, lawnmowers in your room, but they are engaged in the actual... Uh, skills that you had planned for them, the objectives that you had, it, a physic, we're in a physical domain, right? So uh, we have a lot of physical skills that we do. What else do we ask our students to do? Or what else do you see them doing over the course of a 30-minute of a or 50-minute or 75-minute class? What else do you see them doing? Working cooperatively. Okay, so they're working with other people. Um, sometimes in the activities that we we have planned for them. Uh, sometimes they're maybe trying to solve a, a task together, some kind of a cognitive uh, challenge you put to them, you know, find three other people and see if you can get from this side of the gym to the other without stepping on any lines or those kind of, you know, so there could be a wide variety of things that they're doing. But typically, uh, we would categorize the things that our students do in these four areas as well. They're engaged in the activity that we've established as the goals for that, that class, that period. Um, cognitive tasks, so kind of uh, developing their their cognitive understanding of the various things that we're doing, so whether that's strategy or information about the skill that's that's cognitive, not physically engaged. Uh, they're involved in management, moving from one place to the next or within one drill uh, to the various types of, of um, progressions within that activity. And they're waiting. Um, sometimes they're waiting in line to for their turn, that kind of thing. So with this in mind, we have, um, we have these, these basic categories. Uh, for us then to be systematic about how we observe these behaviors and how we then can assess them, it helps to be, uh, to be able to define what we're talking about here. So um, when we define these, these categories and we define the components within them, it helps us then to clarify meaning so that the observer and the teacher. So if you have somebody outside observing, a principal, a curriculum director, a colleague, um, someone who's evaluating your performance, you want to make sure we're talking about the same things. Uh, so that's helpful. It also, uh, it's helpful to know, uh, to recognize the categories that we're talking about so that we're using the same language. Uh, and it also allows us to, when we define things clearly, we can uh, encourage reliability among observers. So that if, if um, we have uh, all of you go out to observe physical education in another, another state and we wanted to use this group as kind of the, the governing body of what good physical education looks like, we want to make sure before you left you were all looking or understood what you were looking for in comparison to each other. 
so that if, if, if Ben was talking about management, that Carlo understood the same management being the same thing. So we have reliability among observers. So at Western, uh, I'm going to go through this part fairly quickly. I know some of you have heard some of this before, but when, when I was a, a graduate student at Western, Western used this um, established system of collecting data. Uh, and I, as a graduate student, under, I, was, um, I went out to observe the, the student teachers, or they had um, kind of a, the, the stage before student teaching, the, the student aiding, as it was called in many of our, our higher institutions. They had to do a 20-hour placement in a student aiding situation. And I had to go out and observe them at least once um, and, and then uh, collect information on their performance. So w what we found is what we needed to do was to operationalize our, our, our definitions. So in these teacher behavior things, under the, that large category of observation that we talked about before, we found that there are kind of two different types of observation that we typically do. There's the general observation of kind of standing back. You know, you give your instructions, you send out groups to different um, parts of your gymnasium, and you kind of stand back and observe and make sure everybody's in the right place, that uh, things are going on safely, and we're just kind of viewing the whole class. But there's also specific observation. That time that you spend close enough to a student for the purpose of giving them feedback. And so you've given a, a forearm passing drill in volleyball, and you have two players working together, two students working together, and you come over to watch to see, is the one person getting their hands together? Are they following through to their target? Is the other person catching above their head within one step? You know, and you're watching there to observe, to give either positive or corrective feedback. So that's how we def define observation. Um, when we looked at uh, teacher behavior, as was indicated by some of your responses earlier, instruction can look like a couple of different things. It could be the verbal instructions you give okay, of, of what a, uh, when, you, when you pass a volleyball, I'd like you to have, make sure your hands are together, your arms are extended out away from your body, you make contact in the lower third of your forearm, and you move through the ball. Those are all pretty verbal instructions. But I'd also then probably want to model that and have myself or a student show what that looks like. And there may be even some skills, instructional skills, that you give physical guidance. So if you're doing maybe a tumbling unit and you have those elementary students and you want to make sure that they're using proper head and neck control, you may put a hand on the back of their neck to make sure that they have a nice strong support than when they, they're doing their forward roll. So typically our instruction comes in those first two categories, but it could be some physical guidance as well. Third category was um, feedback. And we find in our feedback, we're often giving either uh, negative feedback where we want to alter performance, so don't do that again, or we want to reinforce, try to maintain a behavior, or we give corrective feedback that is either neutral or sometimes even a positive to try to change or improve a performance for, for future use. And then our final category in teacher behavior was this idea of management. And our management can look at look like a number of different things, but typically we're looking at, sorry, um, anything that we as a do as a teacher that's non-subject matter related. Okay, so you're um, in the middle of instruction and, and you get your students off and then you, someone comes over to you, can you help me tie my shoes? One of your kindergarten kids and you're down tying their shoes. It's really not about anything related to objectives you've had for your, 
for your lesson plan that day, but it's, it's stuff you have to do to kind of maintain the operations of your class. Right, so these are our teacher behaviors. Um, there are some other things that we do, some non-off tasks, some, uh, but we won't focus on those for today. Um, so going on to our teacher behavior, those motor engaged, we typically find that our, our, the engagement is either appropriate to the appropriate level of, of the skill level for your group at, at that time, so not too easy, not too hard, uh, or it's min motor inappropriate. Maybe uh, you thought they were be able to take on this task and you and you get them out doing the activity and suddenly you realize, oh, this is I got to modify this. This is um, this they're not ready for this. So that could be um, a motor inappropriate. There are occasions where we would see some motor supportive activity where you are aiding a student in doing some other motor activity. Um, our student behaviors of cognitive behavior that's engaged in the subject motor cognitive tasks. So they're they're sitting where they're supposed to, they're listening, you can see their engagement uh, from a cognitive standpoint. Uh, we have uh, student management tasks, they, they could be on task, they could be effectively moving from one spot to the next or within an activity, um, doing as you, as you expected. They could be off task, um, they could be you know, um, temporarily between things. So at Western we had ways to kind of categorize each of these things and each of these behaviors that I'm showing you here had a number on our little computer um, tablet. And uh, the first 12 numbers were all student or teacher behaviors. The last eight numbers were all student behaviors. And as, a, as an observer, I would come in and watch a student. And I'd, uh, I'd watch their classroom and, and go in a 2-1-1 pattern. I'd watch the teacher for two minutes. I'd watch a student for a minute, I'd watch another student for a minute, and then I'd repeat that cycle. And while I was watching the teacher, I'd be just pushing on the button, okay, um, number four, corrective feedback, moving over to number seven, uh, over to number one, general observation, and anytime um, they would exhibit a new behavior, I'd change by pressing that number. And then it could give us that, both the duration of time they were involved in those behaviors, and the number of times they would do certain things like feedback, for instance, would be really important to know. So when, when a student was done their teaching, they would have a form that looked something like this. I know it's pretty hard for you to see at this point, but the, the, all these in number one are, it says estimate the percentage of time that you spent in the following behavior categories. So this is the teacher behavior. So those are the ones that I just listed, and you have a percentage of time over here equal to 100. Number two, estimate the rate per minute you engage in the following behaviors. Reinforce students, providing corrective feedback, and so on. These are about feedback. And then number three, estimate the percentage of time your students engaged in. So they would have that moment of reflection right after they're done teaching, fill out this quick form. And then in the meantime, I would be pulling up on my little handheld computer the actual numbers from what I observed in that, that setting. And we'd have this observation form. And again, the, the screen here is relatively small, but um, 12 numbers for teacher behaviors, eight numbers for student behaviors. Uh, there's some things for dur duration and frequency. And then uh, I would put in my, the actual numbers here, and I would take that percentages that the student wrote over here. We could then compare the information. So if I had... Um, 
the student estimating that they spent 10% of their time in general observation. I'm just kind of standing back and watching the class. That's what their estimate was. And my actual numbers indicated they spent 40% of their time just kind of standing back on the side, trying not to get in the way, hoping everything went viral. Well, there's a problem there, right? 40% of actual versus 10% of their predicted, uh, or their estimated, then we have an inaccuracy in their self-assessment. So this whole system was intended to kind of give some actual data and information um, of estimates versus actual. So uh, in my time doing this, I, I did a little bit of further research in this for my, for my master's thesis. And it, while I was doing that, I came up with some, some really valuable um, research around, the, um, around this topic that I found was really helpful and gave me some assurance that I was doing the right thing, I was on the right track. So this whole idea of value of systematic observation uh, and, and self-assessment, here's one important value they talk about, that growth as a teacher is dependent on the ability to reflect on relationships, collect information to ju make judgments, and to use this information to make change. So that whole idea of growth is really important in the systematic way you do your observation can really promote that and give you accurate information. Uh, a second piece of research I found uh, related to this is that work reported indicates that self-study, so this idea of reflection, may uh, hold promise as a useful means of sensitizing novice teachers, so early teachers especially, uh, to self-monitoring as a critical feature of reflective teaching. So besides all the other things you have to think about, you new teachers, um, the idea of uh, reflecting on yourself can be a really valuable uh, tool that you have to make assessments or judgments about your performance. Thirdly, uh, proponents of self-analysis believe that people learn best by thoughtful analysis of their own behaviors and that self-initiated changes are most likely to succeed. So I don't know if you've ever experienced that um, somebody else coming in and observing you and telling you what they think. And sometimes um, you say, oh, that's really helpful information. I hadn't thought about that before. And sometimes you think, what were they watching? That wasn't what I was doing. And uh, so the, the, the point of this is that we um, are often not only our, our, our worst critics sometimes, but we're also often more in tune with what actually are the things that are going to help us improve in the, in the future. Uh, next piece of information here. Um, if you, uh, Bresson and Weiss, another group that did some research in this area, uh, they feel that to develop competence, self-confidence, and persistence, three very, I think, valuable qualities for any teacher, but a physical educator especially, um, observation skills must be taught and trained in teacher education programs. So the, the idea that this doesn't just obviously happen on its own, uh, we, we need to kind of learn how to, how to to take this information, how to, uh, how to put it into our own uh, system and move forward. Uh, accurate self-assessment and evaluation will increase the probability that a teacher will make necessary changes to improve performance and learning within the physical education setting. So this whole idea of accuracy, back to this idea of, well, what was the actual versus what you predicted or what you, um, what you observed or what you thought was going on. If there is that accuracy between those two numbers, you're likely um, 
you're more likely to make changes for the right reasons. Okay? I think we've all been in those situations where you've taught a lesson and you've been doing some reflection you thought, huh, that didn't go very well. And you start to think, well, what didn't go well? And yeah, I can't quite put my finger on it. Maybe if I just, maybe if I change this. Maybe if I change the order in which I present this information. So you do that with the next class. And it was a little bit better, uh, but you think, oh, okay, I think I'm on the right track. Try it with the next class. Oh, yeah, that worked a lot better. Try it with the fourth class, and you're back to the result you had in, after the first class. And like, did I make the right change for the right reason? There's too many variables uh, involved where you can just make simple changes without thinking through these, these details. So um, then what is the value of self-assessment? I, I would kind of narrow it down into these, these broader categories. Uh, first of all, without, self, um, without accurate self-assessment, we kind of get into this um, approach that experience is the best teacher. Now, I, I have nothing, um, I don't want to denigrate or diminish any of the experience in this room. But I ask you the, the question of, is experience really, was experience really your best teacher? Or, you know, is that just kind of a slogan that we, we kind of put out there to, to make our, our new teachers feel better? That, okay, you know, things, things are, are going to be okay if you just kind of stick in it and you keep going. Eventually things will get better. Well, I don't know if that's so helpful. If that's really, um, and it, I don't know if that's really true, that experience makes us necessarily better teachers. Sure, there are things that, uh, that I've gone through as a teacher and experienced for the first time to say, well, I never want to do that again. But I think it would be better for us down the road or in the long run to make um, those choices for the right reasons after some accurate reflection. So experience... Absolutely, it's valuable. But is it the best teacher? I would argue maybe not. Um, the other thing that we see that I know I've um, done occasionally or maybe more times than I'd want to admit is this idea of, of assessing and making changes kind of a trial and error basis. Well, I'll, I'll try this and, and see if it works. And if it doesn't work, then I'll try something else. And I just kind of keep going in this cycle of I'll try and fail, try and fail, try and succeed over here. Well, maybe I'll do more of that. I'll try that a couple of times, and then it doesn't work anymore. And, I, and you find yourself kind of chasing an answer. And what often happens in this situation, I find, is that we make the wrong changes for the wrong reasons. And so we, we what are we basing our change on? And I think this is where our self-assessment can really be really important. Um, so self-assessment is necessary, uh, in my estimation, for the, this, um, this first idea that there's little supervision in the real world. I hope your experience is different than mine. Uh, I've been um, teaching prof professionally in the physical education world now for um, 30 years. I've been formally observed once. I hope that it's different in your experience. My sense is, uh, um, I don't want to get anybody in trouble or have you raise your hands about this one, but uh, if, you haven't, if you're not being formally observed or evaluated on a regular basis, um, this self-assessment is essential for your uh, mental health, 
for your performance and growth as a teacher. Um, you know, I think I found myself as a physical educator, educator often isolated from the, my, my peers, uh, just physically in a different space from, you know, far away from the teacher's lounge. Uh, nobody, few people wanted to come and find out what was going on because it was too noisy, too much going on down there. It was more, I, I don't want to know what's going on. As long as you bring my students back to my elementary classroom, they're tired and, uh, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're not hurt, too hurt, then, then we're in good shape. Um, so this idea of supervision, like I said, I hope it's different for you, but for me, uh, without some type of plan for self-assessment, uh, it, it's difficult to know. Now, now I'll put this, uh, I will say, especially at, at Calvin University, I've been evaluated by students every semester, and I think that's certainly helpful information, but um, I think our, our peers and our superiors would look at probably different information than, than students would and have a different perspective on what's important. So um, supervision is limited often in the real world. Um, and I think we also recognize from research and from our own experiences that uh, if we can learn some things about how to self-assess, we can improve our own teaching performance. So this is kind of where I, I want to go um, to, to wrap up this. And, and I'm going to provide kind of four tips and three tricks, right? So the first tip is uh, look for instructional sequences. And what I mean by this is that uh, what we find in observing, what I found in observing um, teachers that were in training at, the, at, at Western, and I, as I look at the, the, the current students that I'm supervising now at Calvin, there, there are some typical instructional sequences that, that occur or should occur for effective teaching. And that's this instruction, observation, feedback. Okay, so you give information to your group of students, uh, so you're giving that instruction, whether it's verbal instruction or modeling or some type of other instruction, then you observe their performance and the hope would be that you give them feedback. Yes, you're on the right track, or uh, make sure your elbow's standing up a little higher on that uh, as you make that turn back and throw, uh, whatever it is. And what we so this look for this in your own um, in your own teaching. Do I do this? Okay. Um, another kind of version of this is model observation feedback. So. This kind of feedback loop, I think, is essential for, for any teacher, but especially in our context of teaching physical skills. Uh, I know in myself and what I've observed um, occasionally with student teachers is that they're so kind of, I, and I get caught up in the, in, okay, I've got to present this information, I can kind of get into this zone, that I give the information, I send them out, and then I kind of stand back and watch. I'm like, Phew. all right. Uh, I can check my clock here because I got to change to something in three minutes, and, and I'm thinking about oh um, yeah, I've got this lunch appointment with another teacher, and and you kind of get lost in your own thoughts, and you're not engaging in your job of giving feedback to your students. So first tip here is to look uh, for these instructional sequences. Now, um, I would recommend. Uh, and I've done this occasionally, is to videotape myself. Videotape yourself. 
set up a, a, a have your student teacher do it or um, have someone come in or set up a camera on your on your gym and and make sure that you can hear the the audio because that's really important to hear what kind of feedback you're giving and uh, just kind of videotape something for for a 30-minute class for you know however long your class is and listen to what your pattern is in your instructional sequences do you kind of follow through on your instruction and observation to actually give the reinforcement or corrective feedback. So um, this is a teacher behavior, right? This is your instructional sequence. A second tip I would have for you here is to consider how you are spending your teaching time. So if we go back to the, the definitions that I gave from the, the Western example, uh, there are a lot of things that you do as a teacher. It's the necessity of the job. Uh, it, it's not really a, just a simple roll out the, the balls and let's see what happens. You are doing all of these things multiple times in every class period. The question becomes, and I think an important self-assessment question is, how much time or what percentage of time am I spending in these things? I do, um, I don't know if Carla and, and Jen will remember this, Ben will get an opportunity to do this later in the semester. But in our student teaching seminar, uh, we meet Monday nights uh, while they're doing their student teaching experience. And we, we go through some uh, a number of different topic areas. And when we get to this idea of, of assessment and, and how we're doing, I ask them to estimate how much of their time they spend in each of these broad categories. And they're pretty, pretty across the board, say I, I spend about 30% of my time um, observing. I spend about 30% of my time instructing. I give 20% uh, of my time giving feedback, and you know the remaining percentage managing behaviors. So oh, that's really cool. How do you know that? Uh, and then, it's like, oh, um, I don't know. I, I, that's just the feeling I have. So I really, again, this videotape or having somebody else come in and observe you uh, to to maybe put a stopwatch on you for to ask to see how much of your time you're actually kind of just standing and watching without giving getting involved and giving feedback uh, how much time you actually take to give the instructions for a new game okay you're in a 25 minute elementary PE classroom and you spend eight minutes explaining something Whew. you're gonna have some uh, some pent-up energy there from those kids right so how much time do you actually spend in these different categories? So this again is a teacher behavior. Um, the third tip I would add, I would recommend to you is to consider how your students are spending their time. So uh, again, your student behaviors, what are they doing? And we know again from research that they're involved in those those typical activities. Uh, and I and I found myself, especially early on in my teaching. Uh, looking at the situations, especially that last one, waiting their turn to perform. And I, I, I was just not happy with how much downtime students had. Um, and I started to ask myself questions about, well, did I have enough equipment out? Did I have other tasks that, that they could be doing that were uh, building towards the objectives for that lesson in that time period? Uh, did I, you know, give them, um, you know, enough activity or variations or progressions of activity so it was constantly moving so again taking some stock of 
what is actually happening with your students and how they're actually spending your, your, their time is worth your time to look into. And, you know, I know for myself, it was, uh, especially early on, it was all I could do to think about myself and what I was contributing. But there's a strong connection between what you do and what you plan and what your students are going to actually do themselves. All right, and then the fourth tip I would give you is pay attention to rates. So rate is the number of times something happens per minute. So these three things, rate of reinforcement, rate of correction, and rate of specific observation, I think are really valuable rates for you to look at. How many times do I actually, per minute, get to a student for the purpose of giving them praise, feedback, um, affirmation, correction, whatever it is. And uh, I find myself, what, what I often did, and I still do this um, to my own detriment sometimes, is I'll give information, have them go out and perform a task, and then I kind of stand back and do, kind of do my general observation thing, right? And so I'm watching for a couple minutes, and I know we're going to progress to another version of this drill. So I stop, uh, bring everybody in, and I give some general feedback to the whole group. So what happens in those situations? Well, maybe a small percentage of your students will think, oh, he's, he's talking to me. Um, you know, I did something really well, or I really need to work on this piece. But the majority of them are thinking, well, that's talking to that person. They're not talking to me. So that engagement with your students directly one-on-one -on -one is, uh, is something that we can all improve on in, in our rates of feedback. All right. Um, so let's look then at tricks. And I will give um, three tricks, I guess we'll call them. Um, the first is change your observation ratio. And you see how this is connected to some of these tips. So we have general observation time and specific observation time. The trick here is to reduce the amount of general observation you do. So if you're ever finding yourself just kind of uh, falling back to the wall and just kind of um, thinking about other things, maybe uh, planning what's going to come next on your, on your clipboard or whatever it is, resist that urge and find ways to get more involved with specific observation of specific students for the purpose of giving them feedback. Because what we do here is we then can target individuals who need help. Okay, so we have um, the purpose of that individual attention is, is uh, to then give some um, individual instruction or modeling or provide that immediate feedback that the student needs. Because isn't that the goal of every teacher? To make an impression or an impact on every student in your room? So this idea of, of specific observation really forces us or encourages us to um, get away from the outsides and get involved, get into the action for the purpose of, of meeting that student where they're at. Uh, in grad school, I had a, my mentor, my, my, my key supervisor, um, made the observation that we often teach to the middle. Okay? We teach to the middle group of our students. We, those highly motivated, those high achievers, they can often get going without, with maybe just a few comments, a few uh, words of affirmation, but they're pretty selective. Uh, those ones on the other end, um, yeah, they're not engaging anyway. They're going to opt out. We're just going to 
as long as they're not getting anybody's way, they're not bothering anybody, we'll just kind of leave them alone as well, and we'll just teach to the middle. And uh, I think there's some self-preservation in that, obviously, but as educators, we want to reach everybody. We want to individualize instruction. You, you all know that as educators. You've heard that lingo as well. So finding ways to change your observation ratio so you get more directly involved is essential. Um, trick number two, increase your rate of feedback. So again, with, in, with increased um, specific observation, there will be more opportunities for feedback. And really, in those two categories of uh, positive. Now, the, um, the research would indicate that the, the kind of the ideal ratio here of, of positive to corrective feedback is two to one. So for every corrective statement that you give, you should be giving at least two positive statements. So think about that the next time you're in your, in your space teaching to your students. What am I saying to them? And how would I classify that information? Is it corrective? always trying to find something that they need to do better, or am I recognizing the things that they do well? Now, I taught elementary PE uh, for my first couple years, and I know, I know there are times where it's really hard to find something positive about a performance that maybe they're doing for the first time, that they're struggling with, that they maybe just don't quite get yet, and you're trying to think of all these new and creative ways to say that same information, but when they have that aha moment and that thing that really resonates and and they, you see their eyes light up, and then you jump in there with something positive, and you see them just uh, expand and flourish. That's what we're after, right? That's what we're, we're trying to do as teachers. Uh, but we do have options and opportunities to give corrective feedback. And one of the things on an earlier slide we talked about was, early on, was this idea of cl the climate that you're trying to create. One of the things we talk about with our with our um, student teacher seminar is this idea of creating a, a positive classroom climate and one of the things that um, they often refer back to me or ask me about is well um, I have a hard time getting kids engaged or fired up or there's always kids that want to opt out they're always giving excuses <coughs> why they can't do this or can't do that and part of it I believe is this idea that the feedback they've been given along the way, and not necessarily from, from you directly, but along the way has been that um, it's not quite good enough. They got to keep, or this is only for the the athletes in your space, or uh, there's they're, they're not getting that affirmation or that push in the right direction. And we're trying to create that safe, not only physical physically safe, but that emotionally safe space to try to try activities, try something new, try something out of their comfort zone, try a new activity, a world game, something different, right? And if we can increase our feedback rates, uh, that's one way for us to kind of tell that story and engage with them to say, you're on the right track, you're doing great, keep going, keep going. And we know enough about human behavior that when other people see that, they want a part of it too. And those, those kids that are maybe a little bit on the sideline, they may, might try something and say, hey, I want to get some feedback from, from Mr. B over there. So um, that was number two. Number three is reduce management time with efficient transitions. So um, those of you who have, in this room who have had me as a professor before, you know um, how, how I get up on my soapbox about transitions and about the change from one activity to another or within an activity 
of, of progression. Uh, that's any time a transition occurs. So one of the biggest threats to an efficient and effective PE class is wasted time in off-task waiting and management behaviors. So if you were to take that time to um, videotape or observe uh, a colleague or um, observe your own teaching, you might be surprised how much wasted time there is. And when you have 25, 30 minutes at an elementary level, maybe you see them once a week, you know how precious that time is. So what we talk about a lot in our methods classes in, at Calvin and then in, and kind of reinforce this in the, in the uh, student teaching experience is this idea of what makes an efficient transit, transition. Stop and go signal. A whistle, um, your words, a hand up, you should, something verbal, visual would be ideal. Um, some people like to stay away from whistles. Uh, I understand that. You're trying not to train dogs, right? You, you want to, but uh, if you don't, if you have a, a shorter voice or a softer voice, or if you don't have a microphone access and you want to kind of save your voice a little bit, maybe there's some other creative ways you can do that. Secondly, we want to we want to know uh, where and when to go. So when you're changing from one spot to the next or within an activity, you need to explain clearly in a statement, maybe two at the most, of where you want them to go and when you want them to go. The next time I say go, please uh, walk to the baseline. Okay, but that's not all, right? Because um, we want them to know, um, you know, what to get. Okay, so this uh, a visual here of our floor hockey cart with blue sticks, red sticks, Balls, pennies, all kinds of information. What do you want them to take with them? Um, you probably want to have a, a plan in place to get that, in, that stuff out to them quickly and efficiently. Where to go? Meet over that, at, that, uh, at that baseline and what to do when you get there. Put your equipment on the floor, put it between your feet, and we're ready to go. So that efficiency in the transitions, uh, we talk about this a lot with our current student teachers. If you can develop that routine and that pattern, um, these, these efficient transitions will kind of come with you. Uh, I've watched um, Linda teach a number of times, and she has efficiency in these transitions, and her students know she maybe has to stimulate, spend a little bit more time with those kindergarten kids or the first graders, but by the time they're in fourth grade, when Miss Youngsmith speaks, they listen because they know the routine. They know how that transition is going to go. I need this, I need this, and I'm going to go here, and when I get there, I've got to do this. So all of these kind of efficiency things are, are really valuable um, to the maximizing of your time. So your convention theme um, has been this verse from Ephesians. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And I truly believe um, that some of the things that we talk about and in assessing our own um, performance is, is a way that we can equip to, um, ourselves better to serve our students okay, to make sure we're maximizing the time with them, getting the most out of them, providing the best content to them. Uh, it's also to equip ourselves to make sure that we're growing and developing as teachers and making sure that if, we're, if we have deficiencies or things are, are lacking that we work hard to improve those. And uh, we're also working to, do, to equip our profession. Um, Let's face it, physical educators are, as we know, are often the first on the chopping block when things get shrunk or uh, when there's uh, budget cuts or uh, it, one of these things that we can do to equip our profession moving forward is to tell a good story about how we're improving our teaching effectiveness. 
So that's uh, about the time I have. I know there's maybe a couple minutes. If, if there's any comments or questions, things you want to follow up on, or um, anything that I know you you got a busy schedule, you got to move to the next thing. But anything before we wrap up? Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming. I appreciate uh, the audience and, and sharing with you. And uh, hopefully, you can use some of these things as you move forward as well. Thanks.